Welcome, welcome, welcome to Roach on Recovery, to our special event. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Orville Roach. Welcome, welcome. This is Orville Roach. Welcome to Roach on Recovery. With our co-host and producer, Chris Morales. This is our special inaugural show in honor of the Monsignor Wilm B. O'Brien, the founder of Daytop Village, Inc., who passed away on Sunday, October 19, 2014, at the tender age of 90. Um, this show is to remember him for those who wish to uh, call in and express their thoughts and experiences regarding the Monsignor, you can do that by calling 646-565-9564. I'm sorry, 9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or if you just want to listen, you can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Or you can go to our website, ocgworks.org, and just click on the OCG Radio Live icon. Well, it was uh, interesting news to um, hear about the Monsignor's passing. Um, there are many uh, from the 1960s era, the 1970s era, and the 1980s era, the 1990s era, and the 2000s who... Uh, knew the Monsignor, some personally met the Monsignor, if not all who went through the Daytop programs were aware of the Monsignor, um, or should have been, and his role in founding the Daytop organization. Um, We want to honor him in our own way. Um, His funeral was scheduled for tomorrow in Scarsdale, New York, um, and I'm hoping that there will be a representative turnout um, from the different eras of Daytop um, and those who want to uh, say goodbye to the Monsignor. 
And we're going to do what we can do from our uh, location out here in Northern California to to honor him. So, 1963, Staten Island Lodge, that's where it all started. But before that, I don't know if many of you know the story of how Daytop came into being. The Monsignor met with the then mayor of New York, all because a mother came to him in his church complaining, or not complaining, but really looking to him for answers uh, regarding her son. And the Monsignor thought that there was something that could be done, something needed to be done, because there was at that time an epidemic of heroin use in the city. And he went to the mayor to see if they can do something to help, because at that time they were just locking people up in Rikers Island. And those of you who are on the East Coast or in New York should should know what I mean, know what Rikers Island is. And the uh, mayor kind of poo-pooed it and said that, you know, there's no hope for the heroin addicts. As a matter of fact, the mayor said to the Monsignor, you know, there will be strawberries growing on Park Avenue before a heroin addict can recover and live a clean and productive lifestyle. And why is that why is that statement by that mayor important? You ever wondered why the strawberry festival that Daytop used to hold is uh held on Park Avenue? It was a little dig by the Monsignor to that mayor who said that it couldn't be done. So when all those people marched on the Strawberry Festival who were in recovery successfully, it was the Monsignor saying, well, there's strawberries growing on Park Avenue. Others in the city administration thought that something could be done. And that birthed the Daytop Lodge on Staten Island. And along with Dr. David Deitch, the Monsignor started what was that time called the Staten Island, Daytop Staten Island Lodge. And then from there, as time went on, it just grew and grew into the big facilities that were upstate, Swan Lake, Parksville, Rhinebeck, Fox Run, Millbrook. I might be missing a couple. The reentry unit in Far Rockaway, Queens, the headquarters, the at 54 West 40th Street, the outreaches in all the boroughs. It grew to a very large organization that has helped over 40,000 people since 1963. 40,000 people have entered and gone through the Daytop programs in some way, shape, or form, whether it was through outreach or residential. And I personally remember when the Monsignor, when I was in the entry unit, the Monsignor would come in down into the entry unit and did, had no idea who this gentleman was and soon soon learned that he was the, the founder and, and the president at the time. And I became interested in knowing about the, the history of Daytop and how it started and so on and so forth. That's why I was very attached to the uh, the, the 60s era folks who were there laying the bricks and laying, laying the groundwork. 
It was once said that when Swan Lake opened, the original group that went up there literally, literally and figuratively built that facility. They laid the sewer lines, etc., for that facility. So by the time, mm, 70s, 80s, and 90s, anyone who went to Swan Lake and Parksville experienced those facilities, we were the beneficiaries of that work that was done in the 60s for that group that were that laid the groundwork for those facilities. And throughout all that time, the Monsignor's presence, he wasn't involved in the fine-tuning of the, the treatment theories and concepts and things of that nature. His main, his main role, and, and this is why he was rarely ever called the founder or the president, he was always referred to as the Monsignor. And it wasn't for, uh, even though he is a, a Monsignor in the Catholic Church, it wasn't because of the religious reasons why he was referred to as the Monsignor around the daytop world. It was that the president and the founder didn't do him justice. Because the only thing he cared about was any resident that he interacted with, any client that he interacted with, was letting them know that they were loved, they were cared about, and that he wanted them to be whatever it is that God intended them to be in a positive light. That's all that he cared about, and that's that's primarily what his role was, making the residents feel loved and making sure that there existed an environment where people can go who needed help in getting off of drugs. The other people took care of everything else, but that was his primary role. I have a couple of my own stories um, about the Monsignor. Um, they're not personal stories, but just things that I that I saw and witnessed um, that I found interesting. I'll just use that term. Um, and I can bring uh, Mr. Producer in here to, to comment, because I know you, uh, during your experience, uh, experienced a few Monsignor visits um, out here uh, when we were in Daytop, California. Um, but the most interesting thing I, I saw was, uh, and I don't know if people remember this, but the helicopter. Uh, when he would visit the upstate facilities, he would come by helicopter. And me being at Swan Lake, uh, he would land at the, and people who are at Swan Lake will know, know what I'm talking about, at the grass area that's between the main house and the men's dorm. And it's about the size of a, let's say, a small football field. So that's where the helicopter would land. And everybody would come outside to greet him and so on and so forth. And then when he was leaving. Now, one day, and it was always the same helicopter pilot. Um, and so, you know, they they rented the helicopter daytime, didn't own it. Um, although that was a uh, a joke or a rumor at the time that, you know, daytime has their own helicopter. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. But on one trip up by, by helicopter, uh, when he was leaving, the landing area for the helicopter at Swan Lake was, like I said, it was a small football area size. So not 100 yards, maybe 50 yards long. What, what's the width of a football field, Mr. Producer? I believe it's 60 yards. Okay, so let's, so let's say 30 yards. So 50 by 30 is the landing pad. Okay? Sure. 
Um, and on one, so on one end is the main house, and on the far end is the men's dorm, and in between that is the pad. And then you have trees that line one so- trees that line both sides. Okay. The helicopter is pointing towards the main house. So the pilot, Montini's on board. He's waving everybody. The helicopter lifts straight up off the ground. It's pointing towards the main house. He spins 300. What is it? 360, no, 180 degrees around, points towards the uh, the men's dorm, swoops up and down, and literally, maybe by two feet, misses the tree. Wow. Wow. Just That's a close ba- call. Just barely misses the tree. And then lifts, you know, gains altitude and, and lifts off and uh, heads off to Parksville. Usually the route was he would come from the city, hit Swan Lake first, hit Parksville, work his way down, back towards uh, the city, Rhinebeck, you know, Millbrook, Fox Run, etc. So uh, we were just all like, oh, my goodness, that, that guy came pretty close. But from the numerous visits that he made up there with the helicopter, we came to realize the pilot was a hotshot pilot. Okay. So the maneuver was kind of like it wasn't a uh, – uh, a careful, you know, piloting of the aircraft of the craft. It was he was it was like a, he was driving a sports car. That's it. You he just wanted I mean? to take the helicopter he, out for a ride. Yeah, he was, uh, you know. So I don't know what I don't know what it felt like or looked like to be in there from the Montagna's point of view. But from us looking outside, we were like, oh my goodness, he almost hit that tree. Um, so that's just 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 one story. And just to clear the record for those of you out there who are holding me to my. Uh, my exact uh, estimate of how wide a football field is. The actual width is 53 and a third uh, yards, and I believe I said 60, so we're going to clarify that right now. Uh, I would say with the force of a helicopter coming in or leaving like that in a grassy area like that with trees and such, perhaps it was then the duty of spare parts upon the departure of that helicopter to go and... uh, Put everything back in order. All the leaves that might have blown everywhere and everything else, huh? Yeah, the trees. Ground screw. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he luckily he didn't hit the tree or anything with the with the rear propellers because that's it was the tail that swung around with his uh, sports car maneuver. Huh. And uh, so yeah, it would have, it would have been uh, ground crew to clean up the uh, the, the <laughs> crash uh, the crash site the crash site before the NTSB got there. But fortunately, that didn't happen, and he made many uh, successful trips uh, up to the lake and to Parksville and the other facilities. Um, He made many trips out to California. Of course, not all people know this, he he spent a lot of time internationally in in different countries, and to be honest... You know, as sports fans, you and I always talk about, I don't know, like the basketball, how they can, the basketball players, they they fly from one city to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. I don't know how the Montini kept up his, kept up his uh, travel pace um, going to the Asia, the Asian continent, um, where he spent a, a lot of time building the uh, Daytop International programs and, and introducing the TC, um, and even going into China. Um, and, and establishing a TC there. Uh, so um, he traveled tremendously. 
And when JTOP was a large part of founding the World Federation of Therapeutic Communities, and he was the original the president for a very long time, um, you know, that increased his travel more on on behalf of that organization to uh, spread the ter- therapeutic community model um, to all points near and far. So, in Daytop, California started in 1988, and the, prior to that, the Monsignor expanded Daytop into Texas um, in the early 90s, 1991, I believe. Daytop was expanded into New Jersey um, with an adolescent program. And in California, the very first program was an adolescent program. And then in 1991, uh, Daytop was asked to uh, run an adult program in California. So the Daytop name was known nationally um, for for a long time and was called upon by, you know, various locales to uh, come in and start programs because they had an excellent reputation. And that's how Daytop California was born. The the kids loved his visits. Um, the adults loved his visits. Um, he loved being entertained by song, by dance, uh, by skits. Um, whatever it is the family wanted to do, he would sit there, smile, enjoy it, eat with the family, um, and then do what everybody was waiting for, uh, get up and uh, talk to the family and tell some wonderful stories about where he's been, um, what Daytop is about, etc. So we're going to go to some of our callers. And we got Shalimar calling in from uh, Redwood City locally. Shalmar, welcome to Real Town Recovery on our special show about the Monsignor. Hi, how are you guys? Hi, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited to be calling in today. Well, thanks for calling. Do you have uh, some thoughts or experiences you want to share about the Monsignor? I do. I Well, first I want to say that... Um, I was a part of the Daytop California staff team. Um, I started in 2003, and I had the privilege of working there, um, really loved the place, and I was one of the um, staff that was chosen to go to Daytop, New Jersey, and New York for the annual Olympics, Um, which that in itself, just going was really awesome. So my experience going to just taking the kids, just that in itself, you had kids asking when we got to New Jersey to the airport, some kids didn't think that there was trees in New Jersey. I mean, it seems kind of silly, right? Like, oh, my God, there's trees here. I thought it was going to be like a city and no trees. I mean, these kids had never even been outside of their area, let alone across the country. 
um, to this wonderful organization. So that was cool, just taking the kids over there. Um, and if anyone knows anything about the Olympics in New York, um, it's awesome. I mean, hundreds of kids, staff, uh, current clients, past clients, um, members from the community go out, and it was it's just a really beautiful thing. And, you know, you hear so much about the Monsignor, the Monsignor. Um, you know, you know he was the founder, but coming from California, we had never met the Monsignor, you know, so we just heard about him. And sure enough, when we're at the Olympics, the Monsignor arrives. And I remember specifically just people flocking to the Monsignor, like he was a celebrity, which he was a celebrity. And I remember being nervous, like, what am I going to say, you know, when, when he, when I talked to him, you know, I, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. And I remember watching him and him saying, where are the California people? Where are the California kids? He had staff around him, you know, that was walking him around and, he kept saying, where are the California kids? And he kept asking and kept asking for the California kids. And sure enough, you know, one of his staff members walked him over to us, and he said, I'm so glad for you to be here. And he hugged everybody, and he hugged me, and he was just one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And such a genuine love unconditional love from a person I've never even met before. You know, he's never met our kids in California, yet, you know, there he is, you know, thanking them for being a part of the program, for coming all the way to New Jersey. I mean, it was, it's a thing, it's something I'll never forget. It's a memory that's always going to stick out in my mind. And being a part of the Daytop California team and being a part of the transition separating from New York, um, I'm glad that I got to be a part of that, and I'm glad that I got to meet him. And the kids that went to New York and New Jersey, I know that's something they'll never forget. You know, and uh, it's I think if people, the people have, that had the privilege of meeting him, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And, I, and I'm sad to hear that he's gone. I know there's a lot of people mourning over his loss. Um, I, you know, obviously he was a big man of faith, and I know that people should feel comfort that he is happy. He's always been happy, and he's happier than ever right now. So I just wanted to call and, you know, let everybody know that he was a beautiful person. He affected many people's lives. And his vision is alive today, still, in California, New York, New Jersey, and all over the world. He's very much alive in in us today. Well, I, I thank you for that, Shalomar. But I do need to um, ask you one question in reference to the Mini Olympics, just so that we uh, get it for the record. Uh when when you took the Daytop California kids to the uh, Mini Olympics, um, did you bring back the trophy? We, well, uh, we, one of our kids, she's hem- she's he won in track. 
<laughs> yeah, one of the kids, he won in track. So, you know, we did we did bring some trophies back in certain, you know, certain sports. Um, <laughs> yeah, but overall, uh, we were we came home winners. Let's put it that way. No matter what. It was uh, many many over the years. Many trips when when the many Olympics were were in its prime, uh, we would always send a contingent of kids and, and, and staff members back to participate to represent Daytop California, and not one person came back without being changed by. Uh, I always would say nothing negative against Daytop California. I said, but if you really want to see what Daytop is, you got to go to New York. And every person that went, even the adults who didn't participate in any events, they just went to be a part of the Mini Olympics, came back, and, and when they visited the Swan Lake facility, the Parkville facility, it was, it, it was just unbelievable. They had no idea. I mean, we have such small facilities out here. Um, to see such a large facility, and they, they were just like it was just mind-boggling to them. And I would say, yes, uh, 250 people sitting in morning meeting, not 32. Um, and uh, but they all enjoyed and loved uh, mixing with their uh, New York brethren. So, anything else you want to add, Chalma? I want to say that um, in the Olympics, everyone was wearing T-shirts. You know, day mm-hmm. top. Swan Lake, uh, Daytop California, Daytop Brooklyn. And so it was kind of a little competition to see, you know, what T-shirts you can get from other places. Right. And I, and, it was, and they were different colors, too, you know, right. red, blue, whatever. I still have my Daytop Brooklyn T-shirt. So it's still around in the house, and I wear it every now and again. And there's only very few people that that ask. You know, some people may know about Daytop, but there's big Brooklyn in the back of the shirt, you know, and I wear it with pride. Right. And, and someone in New York has my Daytop California shirt. We traded. Right. <laughs> yeah, so maybe he can call in and, and let me know if he has it still. <laughs> Hopefully he will. Hopefully he will. Well, Shalom, I thank you very much for your call, and hopefully uh, you'll continue to be a listener when we uh, do our official launch of our show in, uh, on November 18th. Uh, but thank you for calling into this special show regarding uh, the Monsignor. Absolutely. Have a have a good time, guys. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sure. Bye-bye. Yeah, the Mini Olympics were a big thing. Um, a number of uh, staff, at least in, in, in my time back east, were responsible for it. Um, I don't know if people uh, remember Mike Cato, um, who was the director of recreation, uh, at least when I was back there. Um, he was responsible for the Mini Olympics. Uh, I'll tell you, if you were in charge of the Mini Olympics, uh, your head went gray real quick. <laughs> I can only imagine. Because that was a big undertaking. And I'm... I'm just doing this by memory. I believe it was held in, in it had to be held in the spring or summer. So yeah, it was in June, Juneish that that it was that it was held. I think. Don't quote me on that. Do you, I believe, do you remember when you went? I believe you're correct, and it was held in June. It was either June or July, but I do remember it being the summer because um, it was after, for several years after school was out. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, and they would start planning in January, so I, I would start getting the calls 
you know, in, in January about, you know, you know, okay, I need to know who's coming and, uh, you know, what's the staff person's name so I can talk to them and get all the, you know, logistics and so on and so forth. And I'm like, dude, it's January. Oh, I I remember <laughs> it being taken incredibly seriously. I remember oh, yeah. uh, the direct having all the residents several months prior to the Olympics basically trying out oh, yeah, training. on the volleyball court. And if you uh, if you botched a serve or or couldn't uh, set properly, you might get sent to the bench. People were catching feelings. You're you're on the back of the list. He wanted to send only the only the best to represent California to win that trophy. So I remember um, it was it was taken very seriously, but a lot of people had a lot of fun with it from from the top down. So mm-hmm. I think it was an awesome event. Another thing about the Monsignor, um, whenever there was a tight house, and you know what? I don't know if he planned this himself particularly or it just worked out that way. But, you know, for some people, a tight house can be very stressful. Um, it's back to basics, refocusing, etc. And during that time, you know, People's commitment are commitments to recovery are being tested, and usually a tight house lasted two, three weeks tops. It shouldn't last uh, longer than that, by the way. After two weeks, it's lo- it loses its effect. But in the middle of the tight house, because you, you know, in, in the daytop way, we're we're cleaning from sun up till sundown, and or even overnight. Okay, so the facility is immaculate. Even more immaculate than it is during a regular regular time, but the Monsignor used to always show up, and even during the you know you know it was like a it's like it was like the skies opening up and a break from the rain of the of the hammering but you know the staff the pounding and the and the, the you know the really intenseness of the groups and so on and so forth. And he would kind of break that, put like in the mid, the midway point of the uh, tight house, he would show up and kind of just bring some, a little bit of uh, lightness, a little sunshine, a little sunshine <laughs> to the uh, to the area. Sure. Um, and then you know, on the back end of the tight house, you kind of had a little more pep in your step because you because you just you know you just felt good after the visit. Right. Um, because he wasn't coming in there, you know, being the bad cop, you know what I mean? He right, a, right. You know, like I said, I don't know if it was planned, but he was certainly coming in with the good cop role, okay? <laughs> um, and, and I'm sure people were saying, well, listen, is there anything he could do about this tight house that we're in right now? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I wonder if, you know, if there was something he did purposely, you know, to come in and, and, and as a way to say people, listen, this is just a trial and tribulation period. Fight through, push through, because you're going to have trials and tribulations in your life where you're going to have to fight through and push through, and you're going to look back and think, well, a tight house was nothing. Start the uh, build-up process after the breakdown, exactly. so to speak. Exactly. So that's one of the, just a tidbit of one of the things that I remember about his um, presence. Uh you want to hear a short story about uh, a car ride I had with him? Oh, absolutely. Let's hear it. I think we'd all like to hear it. Before the story, I would like to remind everybody listening that if you would like to call in and uh, share your thoughts or speak with the host here, the number is area code 646-564-9909. Again, that's area code 646-564-9909. Please feel free to call in. We would love to hear from 
any and everybody who uh, would like to share some thoughts with us today. So let's hear the story about the car ride. All right, the Monsignor arrives in California because we're looking at a facility to expand our programs. And uh, it's me, uh, Vice President Joe Hennon, uh, in a rental car. I'm driving, and we're driving up north towards Sacramento, California, to look at a facility on a Sunday. And we get in the car. We pick up the Monsignor at the hotel right off by the airport. He gets in the rear. So I'm driving. Vice President Hennon's in the passenger seat. Monsignor's in the back. He greets me, we greet each other, et cetera, and we hit the road, hit the highway, get on Interstate 80. By the way, for those of you in our East Coast contingent, Interstate 80, which dead ends here at the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm sorry, at the Bay, the San Francisco Bay Bridge, if we get on it here, it'll take us right to the George Washington Bridge. So that's how far it goes. But So we got Interstate 80 heading towards Sacramento, and about the midway point to our destination, I noticed the Monsignor fiddling around in, his, in the inside of his sports coat. And I'm not thinking of it. I'm just, you know, noticing that he's going inside his sports jacket. And he pulls out a mahogany pipe. <laughs> <laughs> then the tobacco bag comes out. <laughs> I'm like, what the... I didn't know the man smoked a pipe. <laughs> he puts the tobacco in and lights up. There you have it. And, you know, there was a sweet-smelling tobacco, but I was like, this is unbelievable. I had no idea that this guy smoked a pipe. And he's sitting there puffing away and just asking questions about the property and where we're going. And, you know, this, these, the sites we're passing as we're driving along the different, passing the different cities on the way up towards Sacramento. And I'm just thinking to myself, all these years, and I have never saw this man pull a pipe out of his pocket and smoke it. Wow. So, the Monsignor, <clears throat> for those of you who didn't know, just a tidbit of information about him. Smoke the pipe. A tobacco pipe, that is. So, I'm sure uh, that was an enjoyable thing for him. You know, and sometimes... Um, and this and this is one of the great things about about the Monsignor. There are many people that, uh, just as a resident and even as a staff person, when I was uh, back in New York, that encountered the Monsignor and approached him from a religious perspective in his title of Monsignor. The Monsignor never, ever, ever presented himself as a religious figure within mm. the confines of Daytop. Mm. Okay. He would visit the facility sometimes in his you know, in his sports coat or sometimes he would be wearing his collar. Now, we all knew as staff that when when he came up with the collar, he meant business. <laughs> <laughs> there was something to be taken care of. Right. When he came up with the sports coat, it was going to be a relaxing visit. Okay. Okay. We also knew, and this is uh, in a joking form, by the way. People would joke about this, you know, but we also knew that when it came time to to twist arms for donations for Daytop, he went with the collar. 
<laughs> okay, that that was business. Oh yeah, he used he used the collar. There you go, there you go. That was business. Um, so he never came on any of his visits to California um, as a collar. However, when we went to dinner with a couple of potential donors, um, so that day when he was visiting the facility, he was in his regular sports coat and slacks. <laughs> By dinner time, but, but the caller evening, had made an appearance. But, but that evening, when he showed up with the with the donors <laughs> that were there, the collar was on. That's it. Um, it's like putting the eye black on before yeah. you before you get out onto the oh, field. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't. Uh, he he never presented himself in, in in as a religious figure or in a religious format uh, to clients, even though clients would approach him that way or speak of him in that way. He never did that. Sure. Uh, and he actually took pains to make sure that uh, Daytop was never in, never looked at or in any way, shape, or form interpreted to be a, a Catholic uh, program or a program affiliated with the Catholic Church just because it was founded by uh, a Monsignor. Right. And I think that speaks volumes to, again, just his character, who he was as a person, because clearly as a Monsignor, that is important to him. Uh, he wouldn't have gone down the the road to becoming a monsignor if if that wasn't important to him. But not to push that agenda onto anybody else, so that everybody could feel comfortable, no matter what their belief was, mm-hmm. just speaks to him in kind of his altruistic nature. Um, and you know, and it's funny your story about the car ride and him pulling out a a tobacco pipe because typically, when you hold somebody in that kind of esteem, that high of an esteem, when they do something that makes them human exactly it's it's an interesting it's just an interesting feeling like wow he's you know as as big as his heart is and what his goals are and what he does with his life he's he's still just a man he's whenever he whenever he used to depart on his visits from from california he, his parting words to me were always the same and it, it would just we would just have a laugh with it but they were always the same well let me change it weren't the same he used the same two words but he would just flip them depending on i guess how he felt yeah. So he would say, Orville, I still love you even though you're a Republican. <laughs> or, Orville, I still love you even though you're a Democrat. Sure, okay. <laughs> it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I definitely, um, yeah, it, it definitely speaks volumes about who he was again and, and to not, and again, in, in this field in general and what his vision was, you can't be somebody who judges or passes judgment regardless of where people come from and and what they're about or, you know, is all, it sounds like what he passionately cared about was where people were headed and trying to give people tools and a a road, so to speak, to follow to head in a better direction, a healthier direction. And for him to be non-judgmental and just allow people to be who they were while trying to offer them a place where they could be guided uh, to potentially living a better life says a lot about who he was and what made him so special. So I definitely think that I definitely think that that's some powerful stuff. He um Along with taking pains to make sure that the program was never viewed viewed in that way, and and you hit it right on the point about seeing the human side when you when someone is viewed in celebrity, um, etc., and you don't ascribe certain human characteristics to them, 
<clears throat> which is in no way the fault of the person. It's in fault. It's the fault of the person who's viewing them. Yeah, the eye of the beholder. Right, view, viewing them that way. Um, and you know, he he was not. Uh, you know, if you had the opportunity, which I you know, fortunately did to um, see him outside of the role of of you know, being in front of the family and, you know, and telling his stories or his uplifting stories and, and, and pushing people to um, continue to strive to, to improve their lives. <clears throat> Talking on the business side in terms of, you know, expansion, program development, um, things of that nature, you saw a different side of him. You saw the, you know, the business side of him. I remember uh, Eddie Hill, the late Eddie Hill, uh, former uh, director of Swan Lake during my time, um, you know, and he loved the Monsignor dearly. I mean, it, 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 as far as he, Eddie Hill thought the Monsignor could do, no wrong in his eyes because the Monsignor, as an 18-year-old, going into Daytop in 1966, saved his life. Sure. Okay. Sure. Um, he said the Monsignor could run General Motors. You know, in terms statement. of his, yeah, in terms of his business acumen, sure. Um, and so it was interesting to be able to see that side of him, you know, sitting in in, in meetings and so on and so forth. Um, other and then the, the 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 other side in terms of how he presents himself to the family um, as an uplifting figure. So he wasn't one dimensional. No. While he had a huge heart and his care and his passion, maybe what the the normal person remembers him for right. uh, people who got to know him intimately or work with him also got to see the intelligence and the like you said a uh, business savvy and and everything else that goes with running the business side of a business that is viewed in a light of helping um and so he he possessed both that's pretty um that's it's pretty good stuff uh, he found he found a way to uh, get to the uh, the big wigs in the New York City uh, political scene uh, to you know you never know as politicians in terms of whether or not they believe in in the mission you believe in or believe in something you want to accomplish. You know what I'm saying? Right. But he found a way to uh, get them to believe it uh, because. They funded, you know, before it became a formally structured mechanism the way it is now of funding drug treatment, the Monsignor had a beeline to whoever the person was that controlled the purse strings for the funding. So it, it didn't go through multiple, multiple hands and so on and so forth. It went straight to the agency. Wow. Because of the Monsignor's contacts. Wow. You know. Now, as time moved on, we moved into the 90s and so on and so forth, and, and treatment changed and uh, the criminal justice became more involved in treatment. That influence kind of diminished because now, you know, layers of bureaucracy started to come into play. Sure. And, and, and probably people who the, Mon the Monsignor's contacts, as people got older and moved out and retired, uh, kind of, you know, slipped away and so on and so forth. But... Um, in, in its golden era, in the golden era of Daytop, which I kind of think I'd like to describe as that uh, 1980 to 1995 period, 
Yeah. And I'm saying 1995 specifically, be, the, from 1980 to the day before the Swan Lake main house burned down, hmm. to me is the golden era of, of Daytop. Yeah, wow. As time goes on, You know, he he then started spending most of his time out of the country, uh, really trying to build the international name of Daytop. Okay. And if uh, people go to England, China, China, right? Other parts of uh, Asia, the Philippines, especially, mm-hmm. um, Thailand, okay, India, you'll find Daytop. Yeah. You'll find the same unwritten philosophies. On the wall, and these are some of the stories he would he he would he would tell, uh, and um and we would get pictures, <clears throat> um, of you know like the family in the Philippines, you know everyone sitting in front of of you know the whole family taking a family picture, uh and you know with the daytop name, in the background. <laughs> that's incredible. You know what I mean? And that's way across the Pacific. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, so that is incredible. <clears throat> For some reason, and we, we always thought this in Daytop, California. I can't, I can't speak for Daytop, Texas, or Daytop, New Jersey. Well, I, I think I can speak, I can speak for Daytop, Texas. Uh, other than the Monsignor, we always felt that the, uh, we always felt like the, uh, the stepchild <laughs> of Daytop, and, and anything, we, anything west of the Mississippi River was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So we would have to always call call uh, Greg Damon, you know, like two weeks before Christmas. You know, are you sending anything for the kids? You know, yeah. from the warehouse? Left to fend for yourself. From the Swan Lake warehouse? <laughs> uh, you know, hey, you know, we're out here 3,600 miles away. Don't forget about us. Right. Um. So, yeah, we, we, we did feel like that, but the Monsignor certainly didn't uh, – Make Daytop Texas and Daytop California uh, feel like that, um, I, and I and I even witnessed that in meetings um, when they would be talking about the various programs, what was going on, in, you know, in the, in the field, and, and the field always meant the, the different states that Daytop was in. Um, he he was very tuned in and and wanted to know, and, and I think because he felt that what well, kind of like what we felt that we were so far away. From uh, you know, we used to use the term the mothership. Okay. You know, Daytop New York was the mothership. We were so far away from the mothership that you know, we like to believe that he, he kind of felt that and understood that, and would want to make sure that we we were still in the hearts and minds of the uh, the executives that were making you know the decisions that would impact. Have a trickle down effect. Yeah, Daytop California or Daytop Texas, et cetera. And yeah. to a certain extent, Daytop New Jersey when they opened up in the early nineties. Yeah. So <clears throat> all right, we're almost at the uh bottom of the hour, Mr. Producer. We're ready for our first break? I believe so, yeah. Uh, again, our phone number here is uh area code six four six Five six four nine nine zero nine. If you're out there tuning in and you wish to speak to the host, call in and share your thoughts. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back from the other side, we will take more callers. 
So uh, I hope you stay tuned. I hope you've enjoyed the show to this point, and we will speak to you soon. You hear that? What you won't do, you do for love. You'll try anything, but you won't give up. That's the attitude you need to have in recovery. You've got to love or learn to love yourself first. You've got to be willing to try anything that will help you succeed. And most importantly, you can never give up. Visit us at ocgworks.org. OCG, where hope grows. What you won't do, do for love. You try everything, but you don't give up. Welcome back to Roach on Recovery, to our special show in honor of the uh, Monsignor William B. O'Brien, uh, who passed away last Sunday, October 19, 2014, at the tender age of 90, uh, leaving behind a large legacy of uh, uh, thousands of people who have uh, gone through ATOP. Other programs started by Daytop alumni and other programs modeled by Daytop uh, programs uh, modeling the therapeutic community. People have uh, risen up out of their addiction as a result of uh, what the Monsignor started. And so we're just spending our day today, our uh, special show, talking about him, sharing some stories about him um, in honor of him. His service is scheduled for uh, tomorrow at 10.30 a.m., Saturday, October 25th. It'll be at the St. Pius Church, 91 Secor Road. That's S-E-C-O-R Road in Scarsdale, New York, at uh, 10.30 a.m. And they are asking, um, in lieu of uh, flowers, donations in his memory, um, uh, may be made uh, to the St. Pius Church. Church. So, back to the Monsignor, Mr. Producer. <clears throat> Absolutely. Looks like we um, we had a caller there. I'm hoping she calls back. If you are listening, um, I'm not sure what exactly happened there. It looks like the call got dropped, but if you call back, we will patch you right through. Um so, yeah, it looks like we, we may have somebody who wants to call in and share some thoughts. Okay. Um, when you, what was your experience uh, of the Monsignor during his visits, sitting there in the family uh, um, as an adolescent, as he's uh, telling his stories? Um, 
so the the experience was definitely one that I remember to this day. Um, it was a brief interaction. He actually came out to visit uh, the Daytop California site. This must have been in 2001, and he came out for Christmas or, or during the Christmas season. And I remember both the adult facility and adolescent facility at the time were rehearsing uh, a song that we had, I guess perhaps the director at the time of the adult facility had, had written, and so we were we were practicing singing this song that basically we were going to sing for him or a performance for him when he came out to visit us. And so he came out, and when he came out, um, it was kind of like you said when when you uh, celebritize somebody. Uh, it, it was a very powerful moment. The anticipation was very very you you could feel it. It was built very heavily, and. Um, Everybody was excited to to meet the Monsignor because all we had heard were stories up until that point. Uh, he was just a name, kind of like a, an untouchable figure, so to speak. And when he arrived, I remember without really even uh, introducing himself to me, he, he came up to me, he shook my hand and kissed me on the forehead um, and just let, you know, let me know that I was important essentially, and kind of like a one-liner. Just let me know that I'm important and keep my head up. Um, and I thought that that was a very powerful moment, that this man who, uh, at the time, you know, as an adolescent, I had just heard of him. I knew he had something to do with the opening of the program. I wasn't sure in what capacity, so to speak. But that this gentleman who had never met me, um, I felt this kind of genuine care, like this, this man genuinely cared for me, even though... Um, you know, even though he had never met me, he knew nothing about me. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was very powerful. And then I remember performing for him, and he seemed really taken aback by the fact that we had planned a performance for him and sang for him, and he absolutely loved it. And so while it was a brief moment, it was one, like I said, I can remember to this day, and that was about 13 years ago now. Uh, it's something that I'll never forget. And, mm-hmm. again, just kind of speaks to everything that we've been saying about him to this point, mm-hmm. um, who he was and how he cared and the way he cared. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's a similar, <clears throat> a common uh, thought that people have expressed over the years on their interaction with him when he's gone to visit the uh, the various uh, facilities. And whenever he came out to Daytop, California, he wanted to. He, he we had an adolescent facility and an adult facility. And he always wanted to visit both. He, he didn't want the whole. We always thought we'd bring everybody together so you can just come to one location. He, he didn't want that. He preferred to go visit the adolescents at the adolescent facility, visit the adults at the adult facility. However, if he decide, if he if he was going to eat lunch, and it all depended on the, his schedule and what time he arrived, um, then he would want the, the whole family present. Um, so he could just talk to the whole family at once. Everybody, everybody eats lunch as a family, et cetera. So, um, all right, we're going to take some calls. Um, we have Andrew on the line. Welcome to Rochon Recovery. Talk, we're talking about the Monsignor today. Is something you want to share about the Monsignor? Well, first of all, hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, I met the Monsignor once when I was up in Daytop 
up in the Catskills. And, um, you know, from what I gathered, because I didn't personally, you know, I mean, when he came to the facility, they, they, it was like royalty coming in, you know. And I've heard, I mean, a great deal of good things about him. And, you know, because any man, any person, in fact, that, you know, cares about their fellow human being and the well-being of their fellow human beings, and especially those who are suffering from substance abuse problems and to, you know, start an organization to help others, you know, is a good man, in my opinion. You know, because I did learn a lot while I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean... I, Which you know, facility I were you at? Uh, um, the flagship. Swan Lake. Swan Lake. Yep, okay. They refer to it as the house of love. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Tough love. Tough love. And, and Park and Park was the house of pain. <laughs> house of pain. That's right. <laughs> yeah. You know, but um, just to say to you, man, I'm 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 proud of you. You know, I'm proud of the what you have accomplished over the years, you know, you know, you done, you done did good, bro. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. And, uh, got to go back to work. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you calling. We hope that you'll, uh, can, uh, listen when we, uh, officially launch our, our show, Roach on Recovery on, uh, November, uh, 18th. Um, mm-hmm. But we appreciate you calling in today. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. God bless. And we're going to welcome in Mina to Roach on Recovery. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Say fine. Hello. Yeah. Say fine, Mom. Just say fine. fine. I'm fine. Hi, we're 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 having a special show today honoring the uh, Monsignor William B. O'Brien, the founder of Daytop. Um, is there anything you'd like to offer in regards to his passing? Say, say I didn't know him, but I like, I like what he started. I didn't personally know him, but I'm sure he did a good job by helping a lot of people, and he will surely be remembered. Well, we thank you. We thank you for those sentiments, and he will be remembered by uh, thousands of people um, because over forty thousand people went through the programs that he started. Okay. So thank you very much for calling, and we hope you continue to listen. Okay. Okay. All right. Bye bye. So five six four. Air code 646-564-9909 is the number. Um, you also can listen live directly from our website, OCG Works. That's O-C-G-W-O-R-K-S dot org. And just click on the OCG Radio Live uh, button. <clears throat> and um, you can listen live to the show. Um, or you can go to blog 
blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio and listen from there. So, Mr. Producer, uh, one of the things that we were talking about um, in regards to the Monsignor was uh, I had a couple of stories, uh, so I want to share another story. Yeah, well, that's what it's all about, okay. and we love story time, so <laughs> I think we're definitely good to go for another story. Okay. Nah. And let me just say, uh, Minna, I believe is how she pronounced her name, sounded like a very, very sweet woman, and um, again, transcending... Uh, kind of, you know, all boundaries geographically and everything else, the the amount of lives, that, as you've said, 40,000, and that's just in clients. But uh, one thing that I like to remind myself of and maybe people who are listening is that touching the life of one client, um, you could be impacting the life of 10 people, 20 people, 30 exactly. people, an entire family. Exactly. And so 40,000 people, that number just grows exponentially when you look at um, everybody that they may have touched after having such an experience. So I, I thought that was a really uh, heartwarming call, a sweet call. Yep. Just wanted to throw that out there. Right. Absolutely. Well, I was summoned to uh, to the mothership uh, sometime in the early 2000s from Daytop, California, to attend an executive council meeting. And uh, we were... the. Part of the agenda was discussing uh, Daytona, California, and our expansion, and et cetera. And the it was an interesting experience to watch the Monsignor in that venue. Um, present were the members of the Executive Council, uh, my direct supervisor, the Senior Vice President, Joe Hannon, and myself, Chief Financial Officer, et cetera. Um, the Monsignor's uh, secretary. And California was pretty far down on the agenda, and so I just sat listening as they were going through and talking about various things and so on and so forth. And then we got to California. And when 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 California came on came up on the agenda, everybody else in the room, Mr. Producer, started talking. And so I'm just sitting there listening because I thought I was brought 3,600 miles to speak <laughs> on behalf of California. Right, sure. And so everyone else started talking about, you know, this and that about Daytop California. Yeah. And after about a minute, the Monsignor cut everybody off. Wow, okay. And looked directly at me and said, I was talking to Orville. Wow. Wow, okay. And then allowed me to expound upon what was, you know, going on in Daytop, California and what our plans were in terms of expansion and so on and so forth. Sure. But it was just amazing to watch when he would read off the agenda. Okay, uh, he said, uh, okay, Daytop, California. And everybody else started talking. Right. Right. As if they knew what was going on in Daytop, yeah, California. Absolutely. And he put, he and, put and the he kibosh did, on that real quick. There, yeah, for about 45 seconds listening and just and just said, I was talking I was talking to Orville. Just like that. Um, and so... Uh, and I'll bet the room silenced real quick you, after that. You huh? could hear a pin drop. And I, I was I was kind of stunned because I, I never saw that side of something again. Um, so I was <laughs> stunned for a second and then started... 
And then after that, you had to worry about I, what you had to say because he was well, just going to listen to you, so you better have your I, ducks in a row well, at that point. I never had to worry in that way <laughs> because we, you know, we had had a relationship prior to that meeting, and so and we spoke personally, so I didn't, I had, I wasn't worried that way, but I was just, I'd never sat in that meeting, sure, and saw him in that context, and to see him silence everybody because it wasn't their agenda item. And so for maybe a millimeter of a second, I was stunned before I started, <laughs> before I started, sure before I, I went into my soliloquy about Daytop California. Yeah, perfect. Um, and after the meeting, me and my uh, vice president had a uh, very good laugh uh, about that. So perfect. Um, all right, let's go to the phones. Um, we want to uh, bring on Althea. Uh, welcome to Roach on Recovery. How are you? I am doing well. It's glad to be on your show. Thank you very much. It's glad to have you. We're talking today about the Monsignor Senior William B. O'Brien, who was the founder of Daytop Village, um, who passed away. And so we're just doing this special show in honor of him. Would you like to offer any thoughts about the Monsignor and the work he's done and the lives he's impacted? Um, I would just like to say this briefly. I've never met him. I heard about him through others, and I can say he was a man with a vision, and his vision came into reality. It grew exponentially. I know personally, JTOP has helped a lot of individuals. Those who wanted to be helped were helped. Um, It is a program that is definitely worth supporting, and I would give it all my support. I have personally been to the Daytop California branch, the youth facility, and they're doing a tremendous work there. And to God be the glory, I pray that they will continue to do such work, not just to honor their founder, but for the lives that they have touched and the lives that they will continue to touch. And that is it. Well, we appreciate those thoughts. Um, your sentiments about the Lamont Senior are right on. Um, there, as the producer had mentioned, that you know, even though in terms of numbers, uh, it's approximately forty thousand or more that have been served by Daytop. That that number is actually grows exponentially when you think of the families that have been impacted by the people who have gotten their lives together, gotten their acts together, um, the families that that have helped. Exactly. You know, the, the, a lot the of people just and, look at... Sorry. Go ahead. I'm saying a lot of people just look at the individual clients that they have helped, but they forget that it's not the client alone that goes through these issues. It is the entire family and when the client comes through the recovery process and still has the support that has been put in place that he needs and he can he or she can rely on, that is a big plus to the family. It takes yes. a big burden off the family. Yes. Well, we appreciate those comments. We appreciate you calling in. We hope that you will tune in when we launch officially on, in November, on November 18th. Um, so thank you very much for calling into Roadtown Recovery and expressing your sentiments on the uh, Monsignor. You're very welcome. Have a good night. Okay, thank you. Thank you, you too. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that was a nice call. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it speaks to the point that you were making, which is something we don't think about, uh, that it's not just a client impacted by getting their life together. Their, their fathers, their mothers, their sisters, their brothers, uncles, their aunts that are getting their lives together and as a result are being better fathers, being better mothers, being better sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, etc. Um, uh, so it, it exponentially helps the family. Which brings me to another thing the Monsignor used to always say. Let's hear it. We're ready for it. Okay. When people used to ask, what is Daytop? The Monsignor's answer was always the same. Do as you're told or pack? No, that was uh, <laughs> that was E.J. Hill at Swan Lake, the director at Swan Lake, and Wayne Butler at Parksville. Um, the Monsignor would always say, Daytop is a family repair station. Again, ahead of its time with that with that thinking. Um, as the previous caller noted, it's not only the the person who goes into treatment that's impacted by their act. They they're getting their own lives together, but you know, if they're a father, it impacts the children. If they're a mother, it impacts the children. If they're a sister, it impacts the siblings. You know, it's so on and so on and so forth. So that was a wonderful point and, a, and an excellent um, sentiment. <clears throat> so the we used to have a, a, a big uh, sign-up uh, in our entranceway that spoke to that exact sentiment about the Monsignor, and it said, Daytop, a family repair station. You know what else the Monsignor used to say, Mr. Producer? Oh, but I'm sure you're going to tell us, enlighten us, if you will. Yes. Um, it ended up being the title of his book. And he would often mention this, not in terms of his book, but in terms of when he would speak in front of the family. Uh, you can't do it alone. Right. And I don't know if any of our listeners out there remember that, the book that the Monsignor authored. Um, and think about that for a second. You can't do it alone. Doesn't that speak to Daytop? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's uh, that might sum up Daytop in in just one line, mm -hmm. right there. That's kind of the whole feel of what we do mm -hmm. is as a whole, together as a group, we we help one another, and that's kind of the whole yeah, basically the whole concept that the TC is based on is. Peer helping peer help themselves, you exactly. know. Exactly. You can't do it alone. I I often hear clients say, with my share and its purpose. And I always say, you got that right. You got that right. Um the the eleventh floor, I believe it was the eleventh floor at uh fortieth street was like uh Hollowed ground. That was the floor of the executive offices and the Monsignor's office. And for those of you who uh, either stayed at 40th Street um, in uh, reentry or um, way back when it was, I think they did some treatment out of there. I'm not sure, but uh, for for most of its time, it was served as the the headquarters and a reentry unit on one floor uh, for men. <clears throat> And 
I visit every single floor, personnel department, insurance department, fiscal department, uh, Daytop International, uh, the family association, personnel, I mean, every, everywhere. The 11th floor was the only floor that had carpet. You step off the elevator at 40th Street, and again, I think it's the 11th floor or the, or the 7th floor. So Someone might correct me. The 11th floor might have been the floor of the, of, of the reentry housing, so it might be the 7th floor. It's been a long time, so forgive me on that. But whichever floor the executive offices were, you'd step off the elevator into very plush, mind you, carpeting. And uh, the Monsignor's office was kind of like a maze to get get back there. Um, But I always found it interesting. When I get off to go to the personnel department, it was, you know, just hard tile, et cetera. So... um, But the proverbial red carpet was laid out for the Monsignor. Yeah, that 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 floor had plush, <laughs> and it wasn't it, it wasn't commercial uh, commercial Berber. It was uh, <laughs> this was showroom showroom carpet, it was, huh? Uh, plush plush carpet uh, on, on that floor. And and by the way, uh, there were two elevators, and uh, one of them did not stop at that floor. <laughs> <laughs> the elevator for everybody else. <laughs> So, um, and it was nothing about being pretentious either, uh, because he wasn't the only one that occupied the executive offices. You know, sure, of course, the the executive officers' offices were on that floor also. Right. Um, but because the building was, you know, the clients lived there uh, that were in reentry, um, and it was a better fit for them to be based in the city uh, for various reasons, and so they had a floor for that clients would uh, that li- lived on while they were in their reentry phase. Um, and I'm sure that's not the reason they had two elevators, but I'm sure they finagled it to work that, you know, the clients would use this elevator and it would be, they'd be available yeah. to all these floors except executive offices floors. It won't stop there. Or they turned the, ele- turn the elevator key to make sure you didn't <laughs> have the COVID or something. That's it. Um, but whenever I visited, went back there to visit, I always made a point to go to, for- to the headquarters and, uh, Say hello to people that I would talk to daily who actually never, you know, the first time I went back after I came to California and would talk to people at the headquarters. And, and then I, when I went back, I went to 40th Street and visited because they never met me. Sure. Um, other than the people that I actually knew before I left. Um, but when I people in personnel who I never met, met me, people in the insurance department, things like that. Yeah. Um, so it, it was nice to actually put a face to the name and them, them likewise in reverse. Of course, yeah. Um, but uh, and I also must say that the the offices on the other floors were not comparable to the offices on the executive suite. <laughs> not the carpet, not as plush. The wood, not as thick and natural. No, yeah. That, <laughs> I, I'm almost certain I saw mahogany desks. And yeah, of course. On the other floor, heavy. Yeah, on the other floor, they might have been pine. You're right. <laughs> yeah, heavy particle board on the other yeah. floors with just the top surface to imitate yes. real wood. Yes. Um, so we talked about um, him traveling a lot, um, spending a lot of his time, especially in the you know late 80s, early 90s, uh, overseas, trying to build up daytop international and one of the byproducts of that is they would send uh the different programs that were established would send the best word i can use to describe them would be emissaries 
um, people who are in need of treatment, um, they would come to one of the New York facilities and they would uh, participate in treatment as a client. Um, but they were there for twofold, to get treatment and also to learn the treatment modality. And so when they finished and received a little bit of training, they would then go back to their home country and be like a seed to then train other people in the uh, the daytop modality, the daytop treatment concept. And so we had people from the Philippines, people from Thailand um, come to uh, Swan Lake. I'm not, and I'm presuming that they went to other facilities, uh, Parksville and Winebeck. And um, and it was interesting. Uh, we had a young lady that came from Thailand. And what's you know one of the things that was big in Daytop was the word guilt. Remember that, Mr. Producer? And you know that there's no word in the Thailand language for guilt. And okay. so this young lady <laughs> did not understand what was, guilt, huh? was what was meant by either acquiring it. <laughs> and by the way, this is this is guilt and this is internal Daytop language. It is not regular English guilt that we're talking about here, internal daytop language. So she did not understand what it was meant by what it meant because there was no equivalent word in the uh in the language in, huh? in her language. And I would say to you that she was getting over. Okay. That she was getting over big time. Okay. And uh uh one one of our uh Listeners, uh, I'm certain remembers who this person is. Uh, I'm not going to say her name because she she was a wonderful person. Um, but uh, yeah, and you know, and the way we found out that there was no comparative term and that she didn't understand what we were talking about um, was uh, the gentleman from Daytop International. Okay, uh, alerted us. That hey by the by the way it was it was a, a communication it, break it was here. a Ralph Cramden by the way long you know a few, right, few months right, after right. she'd been there just to let you know that there's no uh, uh, word for guilt in this language so if she's not going to know what you mean by that so you have to find another way to figure out you know how to communicate you know and for those of you who don't know and one of the things that would teach people you know clients. Uh, when, when it came to this word guilt, because a lot of people would misunderstand what was meant by that. Don't acquire guilt, you know, drop your guilt, so on and so forth. All it meant, and all its sole purpose was for people to develop an internal moral compass. Right. Learn how to do that. Right. And so we would use rules within the the daytop program or any any program. They would use rules to help you develop. So we'd start with the rules that are in our in our community. Learn how to obey them, follow them, etc. Sure. Develop that discipline. And if you didn't and you violated the rule, we call that what? Well, you've collected some guilt. You've collected some guilt. Right. Okay. And, and so, so it was and so it was, and I, I wanted to say this when you were talking about it, is that um it almost then becomes or the idea is for it to become a literal translation into the English language that at some point the goal is to get you to feel some sort of guilt for doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. So when you take it to the outside and right. you've developed your moral compass, you can you control yourself. Right. 
Right, okay? exactly. All right, let's I, take a call real quick. Absolutely. All right. So we want to welcome, let's see, we got uh, Basil. We want to welcome Basil to Roach on Recovery, our special show on the Monsignor. Welcome, Basil. How are you? Hey, Orville. How are you? Very good, my friend. This is one of my, uh, one of the, uh, and I'm going to be uh, selfish here, but this is one of the members of the greatest peer group in Daytop history. <laughs> Beautiful. Calling in. Beautiful. Oh, I, I, so I've I had the privilege of checking think, in with him. I think you're overrating it, and, um, but I, I, <laughs> and I think many, I, and I think many would argue. So go ahead. <laughs> I, I gotta say that um first of all let me commend you on uh this show that you are having here. Uh we don't speak on a regular basis but when we do speak it is fulfilling. But I must say this is definitely uh a step in the positive direction. Um I'm intrigued with it. Uh I take my hat off to you. I love you. You know that. Yep. And uh, this is definitely a significant uh, program uh, that you have started, and uh, I wish you all the best, and I will be speaking to you a lot more often. Um, Online Senior, are you there? Yep. Okay. Monsignor. Um, uh may the good God have mercy on his soul. He was definitely a pioneer, uh, a maverick, uh, the most warmest person, the most charismatic person, the most genuine person, the most real person. Uh, He has touched so many lives. He has changed so many lives. Um, There's a reason why uh, we all met in this place of sanctuary. Uh, We were struggling with our lives. Uh, We were going through something with our lives. And for some reason, the good God allowed us to all meet up there and straighten out our lives in order for this to happen right now. And Monsignor was definitely an instrument in the TC therapeutic biblical if I may say, in getting people's lives back to some shape, form, or matter. Uh, I used to work in the accounting department, uh, as you know, Orville, and uh, I was a couple floors down from the plush office, the executive (laughs) (laughs) office, and you are accurate (laughs) with your uh, explanation of the 10th floor. (laughs) Oh, the 10th floor, okay, okay. Yeah, it it was the 10th floor, and once you got up, uh, once you entered the 10th floor, it was definitely sacred ground. <laughs> so compared compared to the other floors, it was definitely sacred ground. Yeah. And uh uh there's so many things, so many good things, uh, so many good people uh that crossed our lives that helped us uh to become who we are today. And I would be eternally grateful. I am thankful every day. Um, but 
you know, when I was, when we were up in uh, Swan Lake, uh, which was the house of love, as it was mentioned before, and that other house, Parksville, the house of pain, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we we was the flagship. I must say, Swan Lake was the flagship. It was the creme de la creme of the houses out of all of the houses for Daytop. Uh, Swan Lake was the house, and um, I gotta say, we were fortunate uh, to be a part of that. Um, especially from the life he was living before, I could only say that it was right that we all ended up there at that time because we've learned so much. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't even have to be uh, uh, substance abuse or, I mean, just, just going through every day's chaos. If you were mm-hmm. able to have the treatment that we had, it was enough to last a lifetime. Yep. And he always say, he didn't need to be a drug addict to go through daytop. You you really didn't. I mean, uh, if you was just going through everyday issues or family issues or just everyday issues, all you needed was just 30 days in that place. And obviously we had a little bit more time. We We had the full impact. And I guarantee you now, if people was to go through that type of treatment that we went through, they couldn't mm-hmm. handle it. Mm-hmm. They really couldn't handle it because we had all types of tools, all types of, um, uh, the perfect word is just tools. We, we've had philosophies and tools and things to live, allow us to get back into the mainstream of life. And they were rigorous tools. They were strong tools. They were uh, significant tools. They were tools that would make you say, what the hell am I doing in this place type of tools? But they all worked in some shape, form, or fashion to help you become a better person. And I am truly grateful to have the opportunity uh, to have passed through the doors of Daytop to uh, meet Monsignor, to work with Monsignor, because, wow, he was remarkable. He was extremely remarkable. And um, I don't think there would ever be anyone like him ever again. Um, there are all types of PCs, but... Nothing compared to Daytop Village. They were definitely the pioneers as far as recovery is is concerned. And and I've visited many. You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think quite literally as well, right, one of the first first residential program after Synanom that is in existence to this day, if I'm not mistaken. Well, they started the model with the TC model, the Monsignor, along with uh, Dr. David Deitch. Um, and then any TC that sprung up after that, like I said before, was started from Daytop alumni, people that went through Daytop or people sure. that mm-hmm. followed, just looked at the Daytop model and started their own TC. Badly, you know from living in, in New York, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of programs there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are doing, uh, you know, their own okay. version of TC model. Right. Um, but they all are 
trying to, you know, copy what what Daytop uh, was doing. You know, I, I, I was um, I, I I was speaking with um, our good friend Horace um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's probably the same time you spoke with him, I think. And um, you know, he was doing a program for some younger people, and they gave him, I think, X amount of money to try to get some type of program together. And I'm like, really? He says, man, you know what? I should have flew you guys down here, and, uh, you know, we could have worked the, the program ourselves. I'm sure we could have straightened these guys out. They probably wouldn't have lasted long, but I think, uh, <laughs> you know, it would have worked some type of way. <laughs> and it was so funny, you know, because um, the way he expressed it and uh, the way he talked about it, it, it was so funny because um, – I don't know. Horace is just that type of guy, and we love him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't know. Did you have a chance to speak with him, or? Yes, we did talk. Yes, thank. Oh, and you I did. Okay, you. great. Yeah. Yep. Great, great, great. Good. So, Bass, well, let me you ask know, you a question. Yeah, ask me a bunch of questions, man. I'm, I'm you know, I'm on the air, so I, I want to be. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. You know, let them know oh, we are go. good friends and uh, fire away. All right, so. <laughs> Well, we, we everybody knows we're peers. We we went through uh, Daytop uh, together, and I'll say again, the best peer group ever. Um, like yeah, the New York Yankees, the core four. Um, oh uh, the first thing I want to get out of the way is you remember one of our favorite sayings, and this is just between me and your favorite sayings. When we would look at uh, you know something that was going on in the in, in the program or uh, going on in the you know, in the facility of time, and everything was tried. You know, all right, that didn't work, that didn't work, and you know, the the person just wasn't, you know, just wasn't doing what they needed to do, and the family just had reached their wits end. What would you and I always say to each other? That would that would probably <laughs> solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, a, well, there's another I... person. There's another person that's listening that's probably going to enjoy this. So, because uh, that Basil's from you know Basil's from the West Indies, so uh, we would always Basil and I would always look at each other. You know, you know what that person needs. Go ahead, Basil, you say it. Uh, well, well uh, let me just say, you know, uh, you, you and I, you know, like you said, we we would look at each other, and you know me, um, being raised from people, family moms and pops from the Caribbean islands, you know, if you did something wrong, you would get one good West Indian licking. (laughs) (laughs) One good West Indian beating, you know, and I I think that's what you're referring to. Is is that correct? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Remember, we would always say, we would just look at each other and say, you know what that person needs? A good old West Indian licking. That would, solve, that would just solve that problem right there because everything else just does not seem to be working. Uh, you know so that what? Became you our, know, that became our they, favorite catchphrase. They they really need look. Let me let me just say this. Um, for the time that we received that type of discipline, um, I wouldn't change it for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of kept me in order to some extent. Nowadays, it's it's 
it's not as used uh, as anymore. My philosophy in Proverbs is uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. Uh, and it's not used the way it should be because a lot of these kids are out of hand. And sometimes you need a little bit, you know, discipline like what we had growing up. But, you know, it's a whole different era, a whole different time. And it's it's not the same as when we was growing up. But we knew what that meant. Well, and it you kept can even us in order. You can even bring it into the recovery realm. The right. treatment program back in the day, um, right. and, you know, from when we went through and moving backwards, and I, and I think it really started to change. And, you know, after the Swan Lake house, the main house burned down, that was like the, the Mendoza point of when treatment kind of flipped over into a different realm. But <clears throat> the, remember, you know, the people wearing signs, you know, getting your head shaved and things of that oh, nature. Yeah. Now people might think back and say, well, wow, wow, that's kind of humiliating, but you know, if you went into somebody's room and stole their deodorant, oh, it was it. a very strong likelihood that for the next week to two weeks you would be wearing, and I don't know people, you know the sandwich signs that would say outside in front of the delis, you know, stand yeah. on the street, you know, say on exactly. one side, you know, there would be a sign, other side, and they would fold them up and take them in at night. You would right. be wearing a sign just like that, draped around your shoulders, that long, that right. heavy, all right. day long. You'd have to eat with it. All the meals, right. go to group with right. it, the whole nine yards. And it would say on the right. front, I'm a thief. Right. That and lasted, you know, that was uh, a way of um, exposing the person's guilt and wrongdoings. And the person actually needed confrontation from the house, from all of his peers in order for that individual to realize that the damage that they did. And um, that person would wear that sign, like you said, all day, all night. They'd eat with it. We'd confront them. It would go sometimes for about a week. Exactly. And this was serious treatment. And I don't think, I, I I don't know if that type of treatment exists anymore. Well, um, it, it it doesn't. Um, you know, things change, things modernize, things. You know, uh, different attitudes are looked at certain things. So I mean, when when we came in, the shaved head, it probably it was getting it was just getting phased. Right. Shaved, <laughs> the signs were still there. In the early 90s, they started doing away with the big signs that you wore, and you would walk right. around with a sign that you held in your hand, things of that nature. Right. Because we started to look more at, like, the, um, uh, you know, the addicts were changing also. Uh, right. So it was more a fact of not wanting to humiliate people. <clears throat> yeah. So it was. it actually fit with... The, the presidency of the you know, the first Bush presidency of the kindler, gentler treatment. <laughs> and no offense to anybody who went through treatment after 1993. Absolutely no offense because your treatment experience is your treatment experience. And, right. And, and, I, and I always told someone who would come back to the facility and they went through treatment in the, in the 90s and they would say, oh, it's not the same, it's not tough. And I would say, that was your experience. Right. Because trust me, the person sitting here right now, it's tough for them, even though they may not, we may not be using the same methods and, you know, and all the tools that we used back then. Trust me, sitting here, 
being in this treatment house is difficult. So saying that to say that um, just like the guys and gals who, you know, started it all in in the 60s, you know, and and treatment was very rough back then, okay, and when the cocaine addicts start coming in, they couldn't treat them the same as they did the heroin addicts. Right, And they had to kind of do a shift. And then in the early 80s, mid-80s, late late 80s, when the crack addicts started coming in, they had to do another shift. Right. And wasn't it interesting, I don't know if you experienced this, wasn't it interesting to see the, the uh, in that self-contained community, 150, 175 miles up in the Catskill Mountains, seeing the different presentations of if someone who is a heroin addict, alcoholic, co- cocaine addict, crack addict, etc., how they uh, uh, looked at other people, how the alcoholics looked at the heroin addicts, the heroin addicts looked at the crack addicts, and it was like discrimination even within the the, you know, the addicts. Well, I you know, it's, it's one thing that I have to say about Monsignor was that he knew how to um, move that individual from one individual from one environment to another environment. Exactly. And the environment that we've all been living in tearing us apart and his, and and part of his program was to move us from that environment to a different environment because I tell right. you this when we got up to Swan Lake I couldn't believe the environment. I was saying this is a country club. This place was like uh, a Taj Mahal, a country club. Uh, And it's amazing how the environment played an intricate part of our recovery. And that is what we needed. That is what... That environment transformed us from the dirt to the polishedness or the gem. You know, we needed to move from one environment to the other environment. And he was very successful at doing that and then adding the other tools and the, and the other philosophies along with it and you know, putting us all in a common ground, a common area where we could uh, become productive people or positive people. The environment was a significant, intricate part of it. That's right. So, Basil, uh, you're going to be participating in uh, another special segment that we're doing uh, when we launch officially uh, in November. I'm not going to tell um, you what it is. I'm ready going. to go. I am on it. Okay. I can't wait. <laughs> and, uh, I, we're going to uh, take some more calls. I want to thank you, Basil, very much for calling in, sharing your thoughts, your experiences, uh, our personal experiences. Uh, you are my peer. Uh, I think we had the best pair, but uh, I will not argue with any other group that says they were the best because uh, I pull for every, I pull for I pull for everybody. 
Um, but thank you very much for calling and sharing your uh, your thoughts on the Monsignor and um, your experiences. Well, I thank you so much, and um, I will be speaking with you. And uh, Monsignor, right, may God have mercy in your soul, and God bless. Okay. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. That was my peer, uh, Basil, so we went we went long on him for... Uh, um, <clears throat> But yes, that good old-fashioned West Indian licking. Um, okay, we're gonna go right back to the to the phones, and uh, we have uh, Jerry, I believe, calling from uh, New York. Jerry, how you doing? Welcome to Road Chum Recovery. How are you? Thank you for good. accepting my call. You're very welcome. Talking about the uh, senior today. <clears throat> yes, 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 yes. I've known Monsignor since the city of the forgotten in 1975 mm-hmm. and up in Albany when they were doing mm-hmm. the cutting of the budget mm-hmm. and then, and he was a wonderful person and eventually I began to work for Daytown Village mm-hmm. as a a senior counselor. I worked for the federal project mm-hmm. for the uh, adolescents in recovery, and I did training for Daytap Village. So, of course, I was upset when I heard Monsignor's passing. Mm-hmm. But he had uh, dubbed me the King of Queens. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I I worked uh in Queens. My facility was in Queens. Was wasn't he always ahead of his time? Who knows that there would later become a show called The King of Queens. That's right, that's right, that's right. And he would laugh, he would say, Oh, the King of Queens is in the building. Mm-hmm. Have him come to my office. Mm-hmm. And we and we would just sit down and talk. You know, and he would ask me how the things going, and you know what what the population looks like, and what are we doing? And I, you know, he would say, "Okay, well, listen, you know, next week I need to send you down to City Hall to speak on gangs of New York." Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I was I was I was broken hearted when I felt I hurt. That Monsignor passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he was a wonderful person. Uh, I'm, he's going to be missed, but he's in my heart, and he will remain in my heart because he was a wonderful individual for doing all the work that he's done for all the people that he's done work with. Yes. Yeah. Jerry, I want to thank you yes. very much for, for sharing that. Um, I hope you continue to uh, listen to our show when we do our official launch because we will always be talking about Daytop. Um, so you're welcome to call back or listen in when we launch on November 18th. But thank you for calling on this special show in honor of the Monsignor. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, again, he, he was a wonderful person. I mean, was. you know, I, I can go on and I could write a book about him, go, you know, about 
you know, just him. I mean, because I also have his book. You can't do it alone. You can't do it you alone. Know? That's right. You know, so I know how wonderful he was. Okay. You know, and many people that he assisted. Well, thank you very much, Jerry, for calling. And um, make sure you continue to listen, okay? Okay. Thank you very much. Thank very you, welcome. Jerry. Okay, we're going to uh, move to our next caller. We're going to bring on Catherine. Um, looks like calling from New York. Catherine, welcome to Roach on Recovery and our special show in honor of the Monsignor. Hi. Like you said, I'm Catherine from Brooklyn. I went to Daytop Brooklyn, in 1996. And I think that that's when Daytop turned over. Um, I'm a graduate. What year was that you said? Uh, 1996, I went in daytime at age 46. Okay. At 18 years drug-free, have never relapsed. Um, so it does work. Like you said earlier, everybody, Monsignor, Monsignor is a great person for starting that program to help mm-hmm. people have somewhere to go because some people just can't do it in their mm-hmm. neighborhood. Okay. Right. But um, I don't think you talked about the graduate pen. Being a graduate and being a complete, complete completion, it's a two different mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Being a graduate is a way of life. It's right. a promise that you make to continue living everything that you've learned in daytime. Mm-hmm. Completion is just as good also, but it's not a promise that you make to yourself, to the staff that help you get there. It's a graduation, something that you really earn. I'm from Parksville, House of Pain, like you all said. Um, great staff. My senior also had great staff members that he trained. I was also trained to be a counselor by the best. Mm-hmm. Richie Falzone, Tony Gilomino. Right, Tony Gilomino, Wilbur Powell, Maxine Thomas. So I was blessed to have all the people that was there when you were there, back in the uh-huh. days that you were there. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Monsignor on several different occasions. Mm-hmm. I think the last great time that I met him, I was receiving an award, and I was losing my eyesight. And um, when I got when I told my story about my eyesight, and he took the time to stand there and pray for me and assure me that I was going to be okay. You know, That's and, wonderful. Um, yeah, he's a great person. Like you said, he used to come up to Parksville to see us. But just to be in his present made you feel like life was going to be all right tomorrow. And when yeah, he said something, I, he really meant it. Yep. You know, Can I add something to what you said about the graduation and, mm-hmm. and completion? Because you brought up an excellent point. And I want to just, if you, if I may, with your permission, change one word. Okay. Um, instead of the word promise, because there's an old saying, a promise is a comfort to a fool, mm-hmm. and I will re- replace that with the word commitment. Okay, great. That, that you commit to a certain lifestyle. That's the only thing I would change is what you said, and it was an excellent, excellent, excellent point. And what you just said was excellent, and it sounds much better. Let's talk about Gadenzia. Good old Gadenzia. It also is something that we represent as being an addict falling and getting back up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think everything that we learned in Daytop had a meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for there, but also when you left there. Right. I'm, I was afraid to leave treatment. I was nervous. I had to be put out. And even when I left treatment, as you all said earlier, it's a family mm-hmm. situation. Because whenever I got fearful, I could call one of those counselors back and say, this is going on. Right. And they would guide me through that whole day. And they didn't have to do that because I was finished treatment. Right, right. So it's a family disease. And I think Daytop, California, Philippines, we have the largest family in the world. That's right. That any time, any time you're feeling down or something is going on, you can call one of y'all and you will guide us through it. And for me, I think I was the oldest person in treatment, but I learned from the young ones and the best. Mm-hmm. And I owe this all to my senior, and I thank him so much, and so do my children. Because mm-hmm. if I wouldn't have went in treatment, who knows if I'd have been living or dead or where I would have been today. And exactly. then for him to also make it possible for me to train to be a counselor. Mm-hmm. I just retired in 2012. Wow, but I am very grateful to him all the day top. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not were... going thing tomorrow because I sit here and I battle with it. I'm in training right. now for foster care, and I said to myself, my senior wouldn't want me coming to that funeral when I can go to a training and help another person. Mm-hmm. So I'm good. I just wanted to say that. Show is great. Um, he will truly be missed by many. Well, his um, that that's a fact, and However, his fingers, if you will, have touched many things, many people, and uh, the effects of that, those contributions will live on forever. Yes, they will. Live on forever. I mean, you, you mentioned some names. When you said Richie Falzone, it kind of, you know, my heart kind of skipped because I remember sitting in the Swan Lake living room when he was, he, him and Felix Arroyo would either together or one of them, you know, would come up and do mm-hmm. the trainings when he was in the training department. And, uh, I mean, he was a character. Um, but the amount of knowledge that, you know, these guys had in terms of right. just presenting the concept and then allowing you to, uh, you know, use your own uh, personal flavor to present it to, to others – um, I mean, they exemplified that that other philosophy. You can't keep it unless you give it away. And you could tell they they enjoyed teaching. That's right. right. So now I have another question for what you. They, what was so special for me was they believed mm-hmm. what they were teaching and made you Absolutely. a believer. Oh yeah. Let me ask you a question. Mhm. In your, how many people were in your training class? About Starting twenty. Out, how many finished? Everybody. Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, training had become different because now we were trained at the Pomisium, wherein mm-hmm. before you left there, you had to be. You would know right then and there before you left if you were going to qualify or not, and you wasn't leaving unless you did qualify. I, I believe okay. I was one of the longest person in training there ever was. I was in training for a year and a half. Okay. To make sure I got it right. Okay. <laughs> and upon that training, I got an award 
for helping to train other staff, an award that mm-hmm. was only given out one time. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, Daytop was awesome. It still is. Mm-hmm. People may Absolutely. say this or say that, but as far as I'm concerned, it still is and always will be because it's about you, the person that got that training, the person that went through that treatment. Now, as far as Monsignor Diane, my gift to him is to not use drugs again. So it's yeah, like a, right. another motivation, something else that to live right. for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just awesome. It really is. Well, Catherine, uh, I know you've been listening a long time. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for actually uh, calling in to, to share. Thank you, too. Um, your perspective. And um, I hope you will uh, listen when we launch officially uh, in, in November on the 18th. Um, our you show don't, you're not saying what time, though. Uh, it's got 4 p.m. It's going to be every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Even Sorry, in New York? No, New York time will be 7, 7 p.m. Pacific okay. uh, Eastern All right. time. Okay, thank yeah, you. 7, 7 and 9. So thank you very much for calling. We appreciate your sentiments on the Monsignor, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again. You will. Thank you, too. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you very much, Catherine. All right, bye-bye. Uh, that was an excellent call. Um, absolutely. And one of the things she spoke about, and I, and I didn't get a chance to ask her uh, when they started doing the training up in the Promethean Institute. First, a little tidbit. The Promethean Institute is actually in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you would drive from the Swan Lake facility and go you know, go through some back channels and, and get to, to the Pennsylvania border, and there was a spectacular facility. Sure, facility. sure. Um, and uh, I I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I believe, but that's where Eddie Hill, um, my, my director, spent his last times working for Daytop as the director or managing the Promethean Training Institute. Okay. But uh, the only time I remember going there is we would go there as a training. When we were in training, we went there just for, like, we spent a couple of nights there. Sure. Almost like a camp getaway, really. You know, A little retreat. A retreat, Right. Because the training was training was held in in the facilities, and so you were at the mercy, <laughs> of course, of the, of, of the uh, directors. Sure. But one of the points that she made about the you know she she just caught the cutoff time in uh, 1996, I guess, because she mentioned Richie Falzone, Maxine Thomas, Tony Gelomino, and these are all I call them giants. Yeah. Of 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 day top. Um, that we've been allowed a long time and you know a, a warehouse of knowledge and if you had the opportunity to be trained by them okay then uh, you know you could train anybody that was it these folks had a legacy right and you can present the concept to to anyone and so that's um, incredible that was very uh fortunate uh the helicopter with the <laughs> got to go back. Well, to we'll the, end where we started. I got to go back to the Montenegro <laughs> helicopter. Um, the 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 helicopter that he used to use uh, when he would visit the facilities. <clears throat> as I say, a long for a long time, you know, the room people always thought that Daytop owned the helicopter. Um, no, Daytop didn't own the helicopter. It was, it was rented whenever he needed it. Um, but the residents of Daytop, California, you know, found out about the helicopter. Okay. And uh, 
and I won't say her name, but one of our board members who travels a long way has always asked me, as you know, as a joke, even to this day, yeah. you know, is there any way I can get that helicopter? <laughs> get that helicopter? <laughs> she comes from Sacramento all the way down to uh, to where we're located. <clears throat> sure. But um, it's uh, you know I'm glad that uh, in advance of our launch we've been able to um, have this talk about the Monsignor and uh, and his legacy. Um, Fittingly, the day before, you know, he's going to be laid to rest. Absolutely. Um, I know he's going to, it's going to, you know, Daytop is going to be well represented. And um, I know that, uh, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of heavy hearts there. Um, but uh, I think one of the callers said, um, and, and it's actually wasn't one of the callers, but it's true. Um, the... You know, he he lived to the tender age of 90, and um, he had the he had the best shift in daytop. Yeah, uh, he would. He <laughs> what would, was that? <laughs> he would, he would come in at approximately 11 and leave at approximately two. Two. There you <laughs> there you go. <laughs> the best shift anywhere. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, but that's all that was needed. Uh, that's all that was needed. So I don't know if we have. Uh, well, I don't think we have time for any more calls. Uh, unfortunately, we we don't. We're up against it. The show will be over in about a minute and thirty. So we do see that uh, there's somebody that just called in. We apologize in advance. We would love to take your call, but the show is about to end. Um, we do thank you for calling in, and would encourage you to call back uh, when we start our regular shows in November. Yeah, that'll be November 18th. So. Thank you very much, uh, Roach on Recovery. That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. Some day, some day,